0: I'll invite you this morning to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 25 through 38, under the heading of to marry or not to marry. To marry or not to marry, from 1 Corinthians 7, beginning in verse 25. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marry, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry, We'll have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as if they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. This is the word of the Lord. May He add His blessing to it. Dear congregation, I imagine all of you have heard the phrase, they lived happily ever after. There are innumerable Disney-like stories about finding complete emotional, spiritual, physical fulfillment in a mate. If you turn on the country music station, watch the latest rom-com, they teach us that falling in love and marrying is the most fulfilling thing and the most devoted aspect of human life. But it makes singleness seem like a grim or a subhuman condition. Can we be honest? But sometimes, as the church, we can perpetuate this problem by only ever talking to singles about how you can cope with your singleness. Or how we're praying for them to be married. Rather than looking at what the Apostle Paul is saying here this morning. That singleness in devotion to the Lord is good. It's good. You see, in the last four weeks, Uh, As we've been looking at this series on the Christian family, we have seen that God has ordained marriage, right? Genesis 2.24. God loves relationships. God loves romance and sexuality and children. These are all good things. In fact, marriage, Paul says, you remember in Ephesians 5, is a reflection of the ultimate love and the ultimate union that we have in the Lord but there may be some of you sitting here this morning saying, what what about me? What about the unmarried? What we'll see here this morning is that in 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul teaches us that singles too are called to rejoice. In the ultimate love, And the union that they have in Jesus Christ. And Paul will be so counter our culture that he will not only say that singleness is good, as good as marriage, in fact, he will even go farther than that and say singleness and devotion to the Lord is better. He says to be unmarried and devoted Lord to the Lord is better. This sermon may be a bit of a challenge for us this morning because this is often not part of our vocabulary. To live happily ever after is. But the Apostle Paul's calling here is that every single person needs to carefully consider marriage in light of what he calls the present distress. Distress that will endure in this world. All of us are called to carefully consider marriage in light of the present distress of this world. I want to show you three things from this passage. He's going to speak about the present distress. He's going to speak about living for eternity and then having an undivided devotion. Present distress, living for eternity and having undivided devotion. First, we want to look at that word, present distress, from verse 26. He says you should carefully consider marriage in light of the present distress. And the word that he's using here is used all throughout the New Testament to refer to trials. Carefully consider marriage in light of the trials you will endure. Jesus uses this word in Luke 21. Speaking of the end of the world, Paul will use it throughout the New Testament to also describe the more mundane aspects of life. He's reminding you that every single one of us is going to experience trials in this life. And here is the goodness of singleness. This is where singleness shines. Even with those trials. Singles can give undivided devotion to the Lord. Where somebody who's married with children has to divide their attention between the things of God and the things of their family and the things of their spouses. Look what Paul says. Verses 25 and 26. Now concerning the betrothed, it's good for a person to remain as he is. See, we haven't been going through 1 Corinthians 7, but the whole chapter is Paul's teaching uh, on the principles of marriage. The reason Paul is devoting so much time and energy to the subject of marriage in 1 Corinthians is because there is a group of people within the church who are giving a different teaching. If you look at verse 1 with me, look at what the Apostle says. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, and then he quotes them, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. This is not Paul's teaching. This is someone else's teaching. You see, there were preachers and teachers who were advocating for a Greco-Roman view of marriage and sexuality in the style of the cynic's And the Stoics, these were people who believed that our human sexualities needed to be controlled, they needed to be manipulated, or even abstained from altogether. You know, it's hard to communicate how strongly they felt about this while being age appropriate. This is a family friendly church. But we have records from the Stoics and the Cynics where they said that in the sexual act there was the loss of the most powerful materials of the body. It seems that there were people teaching and advocating for a Stoic or a cynical view which said sexuality is bad. So don't get married. Well, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we as a church disagree with this. The Bible endorses marriage. The Bible encourages and loves marriage and sex and children. So we come to a problem then in verse 25 and 26. Why does Paul say it is good for a person to remain as he is? Is Paul embracing the stoic view of human sexuality? Is he rejecting the biblical view of marriage? Is he advocating for a denial, a manipulation of the flesh? No, what Paul is saying is more profound than that. He is saying there is goodness in singleness. Singleness. Now, the 21st century Romantic recoils at that teaching, right? But let us not forget this morning that some of the most sanctified men who ever walked on the face of the earth were single. The Lord Jesus is said to never have married. The Apostle Paul, in verse 7, says that he is unmarried. And they demonstrate in their lives a complete dependence and reliance upon the Lord. This would have been a radical way to live your life in the ancient culture. To not marry. If you didn't marry, Tim Keller notes, you didn't produce an heir. And remember, having children was a way to achieve significance in the society. It was a way for your name to continue on. For people to remember you. Remember that to have a child was to have security. To remain single was to forsake significance. Was to forsake financial security. What Paul is demonstrating in his own life, what Jesus demonstrates in his own life, is that our future is not to be relied on in status. Our future is not to be guaranteed by our family, but we rely on God. This is the goodness of singleness. That single Christian adults can be a testimony that Jesus Christ is their hope. That Jesus Christ is their glory. That Jesus Christ is their goodness. We'll see, we'll, we, we will touch on this more in verse 35. Paul says the advantage, the goodness of the single person is that they can give their full attention to the Lord. Now, Paul isn't saying that marriage is bad. See, he also talks about the goodness of marriage in verse twenty-seven. Uh, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek to, to uh, do not seek a wife. Essentially, what Paul is saying is that if you have been called to marriage, that's good. Pursue it. But here's the flip side of it: if you have been called to singleness, it is just as legitimate. It's just as good. And you should pursue that as well. Thinking back to the view of the Stoics and the Cynics, Paul says in verse 28 If you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a, if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry, listen to this, will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you of that. He's saying very clearly marriage is not sin. It's not wrong to pursue marriage, but people who are married, he says, will endure troubles. The word trouble literally means to press down upon. Or to to squeeze for a long period of time. Consider what Paul is saying. Let's contextualize this for us this morning. Marriage is not sinful. Sinful. But marriage is not an escape from the burdens of life. How countercultural is this? Where sex is supposed to be seen as a thing where you let go of your burdens and you're free from the world. Romance is supposed to be something where you're caught up in love and you forsake your parents, you forsake your upbringing, and you pursue your love. Paul says it's not a reprise from temptation. Romance doesn't solve life's problems. In fact, it's almost like he says the opposite. If you're married, you're going to have more trials, more temptations, more troubles. Congregation, what Paul is calling us to is not to put your hope in your spouse. You cannot put your hope in your marriage. You cannot put your future in your families. They will not satisfy you. Only a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ can truly satisfy. Marriages are not sinful. But Paul says marriages can be sinful. When we look to our spouse as if they were Christ when we look to our spouses as if they're given to us to satisfy all of our needs, when we look to our spouses as if they were our comfort, they were our peace, they are our assurance, Paul says, may this not be so among you. Christ is the One who satisfies. Now, it would be wrong of me to look at this passage And not to recognize that there may be those who are single here in our congregation, but do not feel called to singleness. It's a forced singleness, if you will. But when Paul is looking at singleness here in 1 Corinthians 7, do you know what the word he uses in Greek? It's a trick question, I know you don't. The word he uses is charisma the same word in english where we get the word charismatic it's a gift says paul a spiritual gift to be single luther puts it this way marriage is just as much a gift of god as chastity is chastity is a gift now it doesn't mean that singleness is a condition without struggle. That there won't be times of trial and loneliness. But when God says marriage is a gift, what he means is this. I will be with you. Keller again puts it this way. It is fruitfulness in life and ministry through The single state. That God will be with you. He will be your comfort. He will be the one who will help you grow spiritually and in fruitfulness. So allow me to address this morning uh, for just a moment uh, those who are single. Who struggle with it or feel called to it. God loves you just as much as He loves the married person and the little children. You are a valuable part of His church. And God has not given you a a spouse because He is punishing you, but because you are called to find your fulfillment in Him. You are called to find your fulfillment in Him. And for those of us who are married, And who may look on singles as if they are less valuable. Who may say they are less useful. Maybe we don't say it. But maybe we think it. Remember that Jesus Christ was single. And He was the perfect man. Would we say that the Apostle Paul was less worthy of his call? Less worthy of what the Lord used him for. Because he was single. No, of course not. Neither are you, my dear friends, who are single, less valuable, subhuman, or damaged goods. But we are all called, the Apostle Paul says, look at this, to live for eternity. The world and the things of this world are going to be here today and gone tomorrow. The Scriptures teach us when the Lord Jesus returns, sin and death and hell will be defeated. All things will be made new. God will make this earth His home and He is going to dwell with man forever. And this earth and the present system of this world will pass away. Not that the earth will be destroyed, but that there are things in this world that are temporary. Things in this world that don't go into eternity, including marriage. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22 this morning, where the Lord Jesus Christ Himself makes this point. In verse 30, there are some Sadducees asking Christ about marriage. And he makes this very profound statement. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Christ makes it very clear, marriage is part of this world. A temporary part of this world. That in His return, marriage will cease to exist. Therefore, Paul says, you should look to what is eternal. He reminds them, verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 7, the appointed time has grown short. Verse 31, the present form of this world is passing away. While the world and its inhabitants are focused on the things of this world, the Christian is the one who is to live with eternity on their eyeballs. Look what Paul says, verse 29, marriage is an ultimate. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. He is not advocating that you neglect your wife, her emotional, her spiritual, her physical needs. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 7, 1-5, he's very clear that you are to meet all of her needs if you are married. But he's saying, in light of this temporal world, this temporary world, Christian men and women who marry should be mindful of the fact that marriage is temporary. It's earthly. You know, it's a common phrase to say, at least in my circles when I was uh, writing this sermon back in seminary, it was common to hear every once in a while, maybe it's just a Canadian thing, we say, Godly marriages are made in heaven you ever heard that terminology? And it's true. Godly marriages are made in heaven. But the Apostle Paul is saying that they don't carry into heaven. When someone marries, their marriage, their spouse, becomes the nearest and dearest worldly relationship. But still the Christian life isn't to be identified with them. Paul is saying that our relationship with Christ is what is eternal. Our relationship with Christ is what is ultimate. That's what will carry into eternity. Even though husbands and wives have obligations towards one another, 1 Corinthians 7, 1-5, it does not reduce your obligation to the Lord and to His work. The Christian's primary calling is still, as Paul says in Colossians 3, to set your eyes on the things above. Look at what else he also says. Emotions should not control us. Verse 30. And let those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. He's not saying emotions are wrong. Read the Apostle Paul's letters, and you see this is a guy who's full of big emotions. You know, in one minute, he's weeping, and then you flip the page, the next page, he's rejoicing. But it can be easy, he's pointing out, to get carried away in the pain and the excitement of life. It's common for us to speak of getting caught up in love. Getting carried away in romance. Or here's one. I'm seeing red. As if our emotions control us. We can get too engrossed in our emotions, too engrossed in our mourning, our happiness. But Paul says a Christian is not to be defined by that emotion which so often deceives. We need to keep in mind that even these emotions are only for this world. Finally, he says in verses 30-31, through don't be bound to the things of this world. And And those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. He is saying that the passing away of this present world, and if we're concerned with the things of this world, our goods, our dealings with the world, yes, your new boat, your new iPhone, or whatever it is, He says, will not last. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. It doesn't mean it's bad, but the call to Christ is the call to live a radically different way. Don't let things that are temporary be your focus, dear Christian. Don't let them consume you. Don't let it be the chief of your desires. Paul is saying, we are called to live sold out, radically different, committed, undivided lives for Jesus Christ. And you say, well, what does this have to do with marriage? Why does Paul sandwich this in his argument regarding marriage and singleness? Congregation, we are religious creatures by nature. We all worship something. Whether you're a Christian or not. And much of our culture has bowed the knee at the altar of romance. Romance. Of relationships and sexuality, as if this is the ultimate goal in life, as if this is ultimate satisfaction, as if this is our hope, and if we have this, we have everything. Hear the apostles' words marriage is not to be your God, Christians are not to worship their relationships. Or to worship sex. Or to worship Christ. Paul is teaching us here that the Christian's ultimate goal should not be the pleasure that we receive in this temporal world, this temporary world, but we should not seek pleasure in the flesh, but we should be seeking the pleasure of God. Now I must admit this morning, As we look at our third point, that the Apostle Paul is attacking even my preconceived notions about relationships. I must admit to you, you can ask my wife, I'm a romantic, I like love songs. When somebody gets engaged, I want to hear about how you met and how you fell in love. But he is telling me as well that the nearest and dearest relationship that we can have on earth still yet pales to the fulfillment and the completeness we have in Jesus Christ. This isn't a teaching about marriage versus singleness. Paul says there is something higher than both. Rather than a fixation on this world, God calls the Christian to cast their eyes upward to their heavenly calling, to an undivided, verse 35, devotion in the Lord. So if we're going to pursue marriage, which is an institution of this temporary world, we will be consumed with temporary things. Look at verses 32 and 34. Paul gives four perfectly balanced sentences. I want you to be free from anxiety. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and this is the center of his thoughts, and his interests are divided. And then look, he flips it. Going back the other way. And the married or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. The center of Paul's thoughts are the married person is divided. Again, Paul, just to be clear, is not saying that marriage is bad. But he's saying the married person is pulled in opposite directions. You're being pulled in the direction of good earthly concerns. And then you're being pulled in the other direction towards devotion to the Lord. I'll give you an example of what this might look like. When you marry, you make a vow to love and to care for your spouse in sickness and in health. And for some of us in this room, Our spouses will get sick. And they can be sick for a really long time. And you're called, and it's a good call, to care for your spouse. But what that means is you may not be able to live how you wanted to live or how you thought you would live. Even in devotion to the Lord. There are members of this congregation who would love to be in worship, who would love to be here, part of the fellowship and the communion of the body of Christ, but their spouses are not well. So they aren't here. He's saying you're being pulled in two directions care of spouse and devotion to the Lord. Here's another example. What about we've thought about this the last few weeks? What about a woman who needs to submit herself to her husband's leadership? There are limitations about what she can do. A man needs to put his wife's needs first. There are limitations about what we can do in this life, even in devotion to the Lord. When we marry, we have to adequately account For our spouse's anxieties. For our spouse's fears. For their limitations. And that can pull us in two directions. And so Paul says, there is another way. Not that the marriage marriage route is bad, but there is another way. see, many books and programs and conferences focus on the biblical standards for marriage and family, which is good. But as I mentioned already, not much attention is given to singleness, and most of what is said on the subject is about how singles can cope. But Paul says, it is a gift. Simply put, Paul says an unmarried person can give undivided attention to the Lord in the way that somebody is married cannot. Here's the heartbeat of Paul's message. He says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That in light of the trials and tensions of this world, The best thing a Christian can do is to be devoted to the Lord. And the Apostle says the best means of facilitating a wholehearted, undivided devotion to the Lord is to remain unmarried. It's not sin. It's not damaged goods. Paul says it's even Verse 38, better. How can this be? The present age says, as we've already noted over and over again, but allow me to say it again, the present age says that romance, a relationship, sex, and marriage is the most devoted thing we can do. It suggests that if you are not these things, you will not have comfort. You will not have fulfillment. You will not have communion. And sometimes even in the church, we can be guilty of the maxim. Singleness is good. But marriage is better. Here Paul is flipping our culture's view on its head and maybe even the culture of the church, he says the most devoted thing you can do is not get married, not have sex, and not have kids. He says the most devoted thing you can do is live your life in devotion to Christ. And that in Christ, you will find what your souls long for. As we have looked at our series on the Christian family, I hope you take away this one thing. The church is the bride of Christ. And that Christ is the best spouse. He is the best of husbands. The best of wives. He is the best parent. Even better than our earthly spouses. He can satisfy us in a way that our spouses can't satisfy us. He is good to us in a way our spouses aren't good to us. He does all things that we need. This is why Paul says, you can be single. And it can be good. And it can be glorifying and Christ-serving and good for you. Christ is enough. He is enough. And He explicitly rejects our culture's view that you must be married to have fulfillment. It's in Christ we have fulfillment. So, are you called to singleness? It's a call you're not going to hear from a pulpit too often. Are you called to singleness? Paul says if you are firmly established in your heart, meaning you're not compelled by someone else, and you can control your sexual desires, it is good, he says, it is better for him, a man, to remain unmarried and devote yourself to the Lord. To those who are married, especially uh, parents who want grandbabies, are we putting pressures on single peoples to live lives that is not from the Lord? Teach your children what is impor- most important. Not that they love someone else, but that they love Jesus. And for my dear single friends, just like Satan can twist and warp marriage, he can twist and warp singleness. Notice that it's not singleness that pleases the Lord, but it's singleness in devotion to the Lord. As we've seen through our series on the Christian family, it's not marriage or family that delights the Lord, but it's a family that admits their sinfulness And looks to the Lord for grace, for hope, for strength. Singleness in devotion to work or success does not please the Lord. Singleness in devotion to play or promiscuity doesn't please the Lord. Singleness in devotion to Him is what glorifies and pleases the Lord. Congregation, let us be reminded that singles are a valuable part of the family of God and are a valuable part of the Christian family. And in our church, there needs to be room for singles. We need to delight in singles. They are not a burden. They are not a curse. They are not less than anyone else. God loves and calls single people. And they have a privileged place in the church. As those who can serve the Lord in a way that a married person can't. I'm not saying that single life isn't hard. And that there may be somebody who is single who doesn't especially feel called to it. People will become single later in life because of death or troubles in the family. But God has promised grace for the single. Charisma. He will be with you in His Son. So let us be reminded that the earthly marriage is not a summit of peace. It is not the apex of comfort and the joy of satisfaction. Jesus Christ is. Oh, whoever you may be, single or married, young or old, run to Christ. It is in Him you will find satisfaction for your souls. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God, we do give you thanks for the gift of your Son. Teach us, Lord, not to look to the things of this world, whatever they may be, a spouse, a child, possessions, money, anything, Lord, that may take our devotion, may divide our attention from you. Even though these things are good, we know that our ultimate comfort and peace comes from you. Merciful God, we pray that you would have your own way with us and that you would lead and guide our lives as we do, or as you will. And that, Father, we would submit to you even the bitterest of providences and that we would look to you for our satisfaction, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.